Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 17 as co-host is a man you know on Twitter as DT. Welcome to the show, Jep. We finally have some footy to discuss. Hello. It was a good weekend, wasn't it? Finally some footy. Uh, so we've dissected some comments over the preseason. We've tracked injuries, but now we actually have vision to watch and start to form our round one teams. Yeah, look, it's um, an exciting time of year and, um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. How many changes have you made to your team since the opening games? <laughs> and you were going to ask me this. I've only made one. I've actually, well, I've made two changes, but I've actually reverted back prior to the Mars series as it stands at the moment. So I did play around with my team and, and have a look at, you know, those that um, put their hand up on, over the weekend and see how it sort of fitted and slotted and, yeah, as it stands, um, we're back to square one prior to prior to March. But um, yeah, how about yourself? Zero. Yeah, Ab- you're a pretty stubborn guy. <laughs> Absolutely zero. Uh, that know, does not surprise me. Yeah, I know there's one change that I have to make, but it's going to be after I take in the three weeks of the Marsh series games and then figure Very out good. my best approach from there. So absolutely zero. Next week will be zero. The third week will be zero. Based on what I've seen on social media, Jep, there are people making changes left, right and centre. I look, I actually, funnily enough, tracked like the likes of Bontempelli. Um, as he was going bananas <clears throat> just prior to half time, I actually clicked on his ownership yeah. and um, and had a little geezer at it. And then the next day looked at it again and it had gone up about one and a half percent, which made me laugh. So, yeah, look, there's um, some passionate coaches out there. And look, we'll try guide them as best as we can. Um, there's there's been a lot of work to date, and um, knee jerk reactions in in changing players can be good and bad. That's an aspect we can take advantage of, is when somebody pumps out a big score during the uh, preseason games, when the ownership needle moves, and we're completely against that player. That's actually good for us. Of course, of course, selfishly, but at the same time, I think. We've got to guide our listeners um, to back team structures, and we'll talk about this in the podcast coming up now. Um, you know, excitement around Petrarca's midfield time. I mean, who was missing from that midfield on that day? You know, there's two off the top of my head. So there's there's a lot that coaches, some people, coaches don't recognise. Like Petrarca, again, specifically, may have played through the midfield just to help his tank. Um, and he's quite capable of playing in the midfield in stints and just had a longer run at it, mm. not with the intention of, the, of that's the plan for the year necessarily. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot to talk about. Very interesting. Um, bit of Russian roulette too. On this week of the Plus Six podcast, we are turning two episodes over. We are recording at the same time, but they'll be split up into two episodes. There is plenty of content to come, so let's get stuck into it, Jeb. Yeah, let's go. Just on a tweet that I sent out on Monday, I'm surprised that the AFL do not employ a full-time fantasy crew. Warney, Roy and Kel are currently part-time and provide so much value to their platform. Your thoughts there, Jet? It's pretty much a no-brainer, isn't it? The lads, uh, I saw um, Warney's tweet about a Sunday night podcast or a, um, radio like show. a lot, yeah, yeah. radio show. And, and that to me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would love to see him on TV and, and most of us would. Most of us diehards, it's just about, you know, dollars and cents for those networks who are going to do it. Um, but, yeah, 
full-time gig for sure. They do way more than we do, and um, and we're just um, fans of theirs. So, yeah, I'd um, I'd love to see it, especially like it's been DT Talk's been going on for God knows ten plus years. Yeah. So um, it's not as if they're unqualified and and don't know what they're doing. Most of the feedback from that tweet was quite positive. As the replies started rolling in, there were a few negative takes. Two things here for me. The traders have a huge following and that means the ownership needle moves when they talk. As sharp fantasy coaches, we need to absolutely pay attention here and listen in each week to hear their thoughts on potential trades. We can then form an opinion on whether to oppose the majority or agree and match our competition. It is imperative if we are going to navigate our way through a field of over 100,000 coaches, Jeb, to find those little advantages. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the, the, the obvious point is to weigh it up, yes or no. Um, and all topics are discussed by the traders and via ourselves, all the, all the main topics, topics I'd like to think. So it's some of it is um, some of it we're going to take with a pinch of salt. You know, the Masteries is is a is a practice match. It's not necessarily we've got to read into how the job security of each player and how the teams are going to line up and how, what they look like and you know new blood coming through who's putting their hand up. It's a lot, some teams like Port Adelaide would tell us everything. Other teams like Geelong give nothing away. So mm. it's about analysing the individual, the team. Um, you know the scoring potential. It's it's we've got to can't overthink it. Although that's sort of what most I'm guilty for. You know sometimes <clears throat> in the depth in the in that last week before lockout, I really overthink it and and um, and sort of have a few panic picks and panic trades at the last minute. And this year I'm definitely not doing that. So taking all all analysis from the traders, from ourselves, from any other so-called experts? Um, it's yeah, it's a lot of the a lot of what we decide is is gut feel, and typically I find a, your first thought is the normally the one you go with. Um, so yeah, it's um, let's just keep keep analysing and um, making those educated decisions. The key takeaway there for me is when Warney, Roy, or Cal do talk the ownership needle is moved so of course we will talk on this plus six podcast this year about value about ownership about finding a way through to number one for overall winner so for me it's quite important to listen to ownership previews and whether we make a stand whether we follow uh, but there is some very important information coming out of the podcast and they provide great content for the afl as well absolutely Onto the Marsh series, week one. Game notes and key fantasy players. St Kilda Hawthorne. Through each of the five games, I'm going to give you four data points. The first one is a score. Second one is a time and ground percentage. Third one is uh, points per minute and an 80% time on ground score. So that what that will do is give us a score that we can match up against every other player for the weekend. St Kilda Hawthorne, it was a competitive game until half-time. Conditions were decent at Moorabbin. Hunter Clark, he scored 69 points, 81% time, 0.85 points per minute, and that equated to a score of 68.1 points at 
played a halfback role. You tended 21.9% of team CBAs, Jep. Yeah, look, what what concerns me, Hunter, Hunter Clark played a very, very good game and still only scored 69 from 81% time on ground. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge red flag for me. Huge red flag. No tackles at all. Zero. Donuts. Mm. Um, which can be actually taken as, as a positive in some sense. But 22 possessions, two marks. Not a, and a goal, not a not a huge huge possession game. I, I'm off him. I'm I'm really off him. On to Royal Marshall. He scored 92 points. Time on ground percentage was 79. His points per minute were 1.16, which equates to a score of 93.2 points. He played a split ruck role and also played mostly forward in the last quarter. Jeff. Yeah, look, I I t- I didn't mind how he how he moved around the ground and. It was solid. He obviously, yeah, he he was really good. He um he looked fit, stronger. Um, that little bit more maturity will hold him in good stead around the packs. Um, and that gives him that little bit of edge. So his his value on the ground and his quality of possessions is great. Um, he had the <clears throat> he was the number one ruck effectively, mm. um, the preferred ruck. So look, I um. Yeah, Ryder, Ryder's playing second fiddle where we, a few of us thought that Ryder would start in the centre and, and then Rowan Marshall pinch it, but that wasn't the case. No. Uh, it's a pity Ryder's there this year, otherwise it'd be pretty high on Rowan Marshall. Mm, same. Over to Jack Billings, 106 points, 85% time on ground, 1.25 points per minute, which equated to 99.8 points. He racked up plenty in the second half, out on a wing jet. Yeah, traditional wing wing role, sorry, and um, lots of plus sixes. Dare I say it? Huh? Um, so yeah, look, he he looks pretty settled in in a similar role to last year. I think that's a given. Mm-hmm. On to Tom Mitchell. Plenty of eyes were on him on Thursday night. He scored seventy two points, sixty one percent time, one point one eight points per minute, which was pretty solid. Which equated to ninety four point four points. Started as an inside mid. He attended 62.5% of CBAs. Uh, it was a solid outing for Mitch. Jeb, your thoughts here? Yeah, he ticked the box for me. He's the first big major hit out since his injury, and um, he'll only get better from here. So, yeah, no um, no concerns from my end. Yeah, neither for me. On to John Patton. He scored 71 points. Time on ground percentage was 78%, which was 0.91 points per minute. And that equated to 72.8 points. He was solid enough from his opportunities forward, Jeff. Yeah, look, he was he was pretty good. Physically, he looks a bit leaner and, and quite a lot fitter, mm. um, a little bit more agile, um, still, but still maintaining his his size and strength. So, look, he's an interesting one. He's the cheapest option at R2, and, um, but his performance on the ground was, yeah, very notable. I think he made... Dougal Howell looks second rate at times, so um, he's got my attention. For sure. Under Chad Wingard, he scored 53 points, 51% time on ground, 1.04 points per minute, which equated to 83.1 points. Played a midfield role, Jeb. He attended 56.3% of team CBAs. So for me, he's going to play between the 50-metre arcs, whether he attends centre bounces or not. Agreed, and again, he's so Wingard has gone up in my rankings. 
watching his performance and again would take it with a pinch of salt at this point um, and, and just see what we can solidify in terms of his on-field role but it looks to be more from what we saw in, in Marsh 1 it looks to be more midfield time for Chad this year which is going to equate to high points um, in fantasy wise On to the Western Bulldogs v North Melbourne this was a completely one-sided game Bulldogs were at full strength, pretty much. The Kangaroos were missing Zeebel, Higgins and Pollock through the midfield. Marcus Bontempelli. He had 151 points, 81% time on grand, 1.86, which was quite big points per minute, which equated to 149.1 points. He was completely unattended, Jep. He attended 85.7% of team CBAs. Yeah, he was unreal. Um, he's, he's the Rolls Royce, isn't he? When he's got that ball in hand and... And you know, no one's close checking him. It's 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 quite a joy to watch. I've actually got the game on in the background as we speak. So it's um, I'd love to have him. Everyone would want him in their own teams, who they barrack for. <clears throat> um, as far as well, when you're that good, you got a target on your back, don't you? Mm-hmm. And he'll be the number one target of the Bulldogs this year. That's for sure. Oh, of course. Over to Jack McRae. Scored 126 points. Tom and Graham percent is 78%, 1.62 points per minute, which is quite high, which equated to 129.2 points. He started slowly and attended 78.6% of team CBAs, Jep. He was quite solid. He was quite good as well. I, I noted that his um, disposal efficiency was only 59%, mm-hmm. um, but we'll give him room to improve before round one. As long as he gets plenty of the ball, Jep, for those exactly, exactly catches, who cares where it goes? I guess. True that. On to Josh Dunkley. He's got 99 points, 88% time on ground, 1.13 points per minute, which was okay-ish, which equated to 90 points in an 80% game time. He couldn't get a piece of it after a good start, and that was obviously due to uh, Bontempelli and McRae just taking over the game. Yeah, agreed with that aspect. So everyone's, well, maybe a handful are slightly concerned about Josh Dunkley and what he's going to produce this year. I'm definitely not. There's nine tackles in the stat line um, from the weekend, which is um, a big box tick, and, and those possessions will come um, when the likes of McRae and Bonds probably get a bit closer checked and he's freed up again. 56% disposal efficiency, so he's not going to be a target for opposition teams. Uh, I guess the preseason games are working out pieces of the puzzle, and what you see during these games is not necessarily what's going to happen in the home and away season. We know Bont is going to be the number one target for opposition teams. Therefore, Dunkley's score in a preseason game you might as well start to increase those numbers from his actual output because you know he's number three in line. So Exactly. So what we see in pre-season games is not necessarily what's going to happen in the home and away season. So at face value, it looks like Dunkley had a poor score, but once you put the pieces of the puzzle together, and this is what pre-season is all about, you need to form player profiles on all your targets, you know, and, and put an element of risk on certain players. And if they do score poorly in a pre-season game, why is that? Now, for me, it was, and I mentioned on Bond, he was completely unattended. 
Cheers, Jeff. You and I could have racked up 150 points against North Melbourne no, I wouldn't, Friday, Friday I wouldn't go that far, but um, look, it was it was definitely a free flying game. Um, and you know, when there's that, there's not that stop start and chip chip. Mm. Um, I noticed that there wasn't a lot of back, you know, swinging, switching of the ball, back 50 arcs type play mm-hmm. um, in in any games, and that's because. There wasn't really that huge lockdown um, defensively by by most teams, so um, you, you were a hundred percent right on Dunkley, um, and it's it's that kind of discussion for the listeners that you know not every Tom Dick and Harry would go, oh yeah, I wouldn't have thought of it like that. So gauge that that fact and that note pretty important because um, yeah, when when Bont gets tagged, that's when um, the, hand, the ball hit Dunkley a bit more. Mm-hmm. On to Pat Lipinski. Scored 78 points. Tom McGrown was 80%. It was 0.98 points per minute. And was at 80%. That worked out to a score of 78 points. He was quite solid. Attended 32.1% of team CBAs. I think he might be used through the midfield this year, Jeff. Yeah, definitely. Um, and seven tackles in his numbers um, in quite a free-flying so, game as well. So, yeah, yeah that's good. It's, um, he's, he's pretty much in a similar boat to, to Dunkley in a sense um, where he probably didn't get his hands on it enough because of how free-flying it was and, yep. and missed that sort of linkage <clears throat> at times. So, um, yeah, look, he, he's still on my radar and still one I'm heavily considering. Over to Caleb Daniel. Scored 77 points, time and ground 84%, 0.92 points per minute, which equated to 73.3 points. It was a low-scoring game for Daniel. He played a defensive role, which was okay, uh, but he didn't take any kick-ins. I don't think there's any issues here. Once again, it's a piece of the puzzle. I don't think Beveridge is giving uh, us a complete picture of what their team is going to do in the early parts of the season. Uh, I think Daniel will still be part of the kick-in structure, but if he's not, that's definitely a downgrade for Daniel. Yeah. Um, again, the type of game probably has a has an influence on his score. But um, look, I don't. The thing with Daniel for me is his role doesn't really allow him to have a huge ceiling. Mm. So Bulldogs aren't one to just. They're not like Collingwood where they will switch it two or three times in in eight possessions. Um, they like to be a bit more direct than that. So. Um, yeah, bit of bit of my thoughts on Caleb Daniel there, mate. It's um, it's it's just one to watch. Um, there are the times like Daniel's great with the classic junk time, isn't he? When when yeah. they do ice a game and he's yep. he's behind the ball and away we go. Um, um, plus yeah. sixes all round. But other than that, like again, we look at the dog style of play and how good and direct they usually are with their running carry from Johansson off half-back. Crows is really, you know, he was pretty good on, on the weekend as well, um, and he's got a pretty penetrating kick. So that breaks the lines, and, and you know, in their game style, it, it makes a lot of sense. So um, I just don't foresee Caleb Daniel being the consistent three-digit scorer or, you know, ton, hitting the ton most weeks, and, and for that reason, I'm I'm not losing sleep about not having him. Back in 2016, Beveridge wanted to move that ball straight through the midfield as quickly as possible over this preseason, and we know they're building to a decent team. I've heard several Bulldogs players through interviews 
saying that they want to be more efficient moving the ball. So that, yep. is, that is potential downgrade for those plus sixes in, in the back line. To round that off, it's um, you, you'd notice that on, on the weekend in their game against North. You'd notice, it, it looked pretty obvious to me the way they moved their ball of how Beveridge wants them to play this year. Mm. And it, so I'd take that as, as, as they'll still be a possession-type team, um, but through the midfield onwards, I don't think they're a, a switching team like Collingwood are. Mm. But don't forget, let's not forget here, North Melbourne were actually quite poor on Friday night. So yep, that's, that's fair. That's pretty hard. So we might gauge a little bit more from their second outing. On to North Melbourne, Todd Goldstein scored 108 points, 72% time on ground, 1.5, which was quite solid points per minute, which equated to 120 points. He dominated against poor opposition, Jep. Yeah, he was really good, wasn't he? Um, but against Jordan Sweet, he wouldn't have expected anything less. So, um, yeah, look, a lot, he looked fit. For me, I tick yeah. the box in terms of when you're getting, you know, he's 30-plus, um, and you're getting to that age, he's still the number one ruck in, the, in that team. And um, he just looked injury-free and pretty mobile and really one I haven't thought of much until watching him play Same. on the weekend. Yeah, he's playing in the State of Origin game this week, so we might actually have a look at him up against Brody Grundy to see if there's any type of improvement. He's, once again, he's, he's one that's not been on my radar. On to Tristan Zeri. He's got 99 points, which is a bit of a surprise. 79% time on ground, 1.25 points per minute, which equated to 100.3 points. Again, he's surprised at his scoring rate for me. Again, that was poor opposition, Jeff. Yeah, he's, but he played, if we look at his role, he's a classic R2, wasn't he? So mm. he pinched hit in the ruck um, and he bobbed up for a couple of goals, yes, against poor opposition. But looking at his role, um, and no Ben Brown, obviously, yeah. it was that forward pinch hit ruck um, type role that, um, you know, and dare I say it, like if there's an injury at North Melbourne, you know, there's a there's a 170k ruckman there that's um, prime for the picking by the looks of it. So, and it's not as if they they got Tom Campbell as well at North Melbourne. So, it's um they're pretty stacked in the big man stocks. Over to Aiden Bonner, many eyes were on him on Friday night. He scored 71 points, 61 percent time on ground, which equated to a quite solid 1.16 points per minute, uh, which even out to 93.1 points at 80% game time. He started slowly, Jep. He ended up scoring at a very good clip. He did, and that eight tackles helps in that. Um, he's a strong unit, and that's he's, that's a strength. And look, I, I thought he had a licence with all, all North Melbourne's guns missing. He, he pretty had... We well, had a free reign in the midfield. Um, you know, go show us what you can do, Aiden. And... Um, he was pretty clean with disposal. Look, I'm looking at 86% efficiency here. So it probably didn't do a lot wrong. Um, it's Again, it's just a bit of a mystery when, you know, North Melbourne at full strength, how they actually do line up. And I'm not convinced Bonner is the right man for a, a big role in the engine room. I think you'll match up against bigger players like a Fife or Cripps. But with Higgins and Zeeble coming back into that midfield and the other mix that they will present... Scoring could be at a minimum during some games, Jeff. Yeah, and hopefully we can gauge it in the next March series if they all play together. Um, that's what I mean. It's it's 
the role on field for Bonner is still a bit of a, a mystery. On to Jack Marnie. He's got 22 points, 69% time on ground, which was 0.32 points per minute. That equated to 25.5 points. Hardly touched the jet. He's playing in a tough role. On Friday night was a tough game for the Kangaroos, which meant his opportunities were limited. But it doesn't look like there's a high scoring rate here. Yeah, agreed. Um, which is a bit of a shame. It's um, we we need these rookies to put their hands up, and unfortunately, it's not looking good for Jack. On to Melbourne versus Adelaide, two teams with two different objectives here. Melbourne played a near full strength midfield, whilst Adelaide were trolling players in ver- various roles. Christian Petrarca scored 145 points, 86% time on ground, 1.69, which was quite high. Points per minute, which equated to 134.9 points at 80% game time. Played a mid-forward role. He attended 79.3% of Team CBO's jet. Yeah, a bit of a deja vu. He's done this before to us. Um, looked great. Looked great in the midfield. And, and again, did a lot of things right. Um, and then when he went up forward, he was a presence as well. So it's... We, uh, I am not convinced on his role. I would love um, for Goodwin to come out and say, yep, no, Petrarca's coming out and we're going to give him more midfield time. We think he adds value to our team there, but he hasn't done that. And um, so the question marks remains, really. On to Clayton Oliver. He's got 123 points, 83% time on ground, which was 1.48 points per minute. And that equated to 118.6 points at 80% game time. He was solid enough, Jeb. He attended 82.3% of team CBAs. Yeah, look, it, again, not a lot wrong. Um, I liked what I saw. It's um, it's about monitoring it for the next game and see if he's of value in our fantasy teams. One player that has come to attention through the Marsh series... Game opener Melbourne versus LA was Tom Sparrow. He scored 71 points. His time on ground percentage was 60%, and 1.18 points per minute was quite decent, which equated to 94.7 points. Scored at a solid rate, Jeb. He attended 58.6% of team CBAs. With Brayshaw not in, he was number four, and he did quite okay for me. Yeah, look, 293,000 as a forward. Hello. Um... And centre bounce attendances, as you said. So there's no marks in his stats either. He had 17 possessions, zero marks, and seven tackles. Mm. One goal, um, an 87% disposal, uh, sorry, 82% disposal efficiency. So, wow. Um, one of the sort of left field um, players that have put oh, their oh, hand up. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I'd feel more confident if he played for a team not as stacked as Melbourne in the midfield. But as you know, Melbourne were pretty down on last year and changes, those hard calls might need to be made and um, we might find Tom Sparrow as one of the golden picks this season. So from going, you know, Tom Tom who to Tom Sparrow and he's he's locked into the watch list, um, Pete, and I'm sure he's on yours as well. For sure. Over to Cosy Pickett. Scored 42 points, 70% time on ground, 0.6 points per minute, which equated to 48 points over 80% game time. He did a couple of nice things, Jet, for me. 
uh, but scoring rate was quite low. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a great on-field presence for the Melbourne Demons, um, but in a fantasy sense, he's not going to give us the scores we need for for his starting price and, and long terms. You know, as a first-year player, of what he actually is going to produce. You know, he's he's the one percenter guy up forward that does a hard tackling. He's not the possession getter, and he'll kick the odd goal or two for sure. But um, it's it's going to be pretty dire straits as far as scoring goes. Over to Luke Jackson. He's called 17 points from 59% time on ground, which equated to 0.29 points per minute, which averaged out at 80% game time, 23.1 points. He found it quite tough, Jet, for me in a variety of roles, which included actually attending uh, centre bounces as a midfielder. Yeah, that's it was a surprise for me. Um, and that's what, um, you know, Marshall sort of throws up. So... Yeah, nothing, nothing really to see there, I don't think. What do you think? Yeah, as I mentioned in the previous podcast on Jackson, he's quite raw. I think scoring might be an issue early. Hopefully he can develop really quickly, but early days it's not for me. On to Brad Crouch. He's got 119 points, 70% time on ground. That was 1.7 quite high points per minute. That equated to 136 points at 80% game time. He scored quite quickly, Jeb. He attended 48.3% of team CBAs. Yeah, look, and, you know, half the centre bounce attendances and um, still managed 120 or 119 dream team or fantasy points, sorry. So it's um, that's, a, that's scoring at the high click, my friend. Mm-hmm. On to Wayne Malera. Scored 89 points. Time on ground was 73%, which is 1.22 points per minute. And that averaged out to 97.5 points at 80% game time. He played a halfback role, Jeb. He was quite solid for me. Yeah, playing that halfback outside game, wasn't he? So um, plenty of, well, obviously his quality of kick is is, is obvious and they'll want the ball in his hands. I, again, as a, as a first sort of game for the year, he ticks a lot of boxes. On to Rolly O'Brien. Scored 83 points, time on ground 69%, which is 1.2 points per minute, which equated out to 96.2 points. He was quite solid for me, Jeff. Yeah, look, he's um, he's one that I'm not ignoring, that's for sure. He's the number one rock at Adelaide and looks, again, fit and ready and stronger and all the rest of it. So lots to, um, to consider whether we're going to start with his starting price or not. Bryce Gibbs, he scored 69 points. Time on ground percentage was 74%. That was 0.93 points per minute, which equated to 74.6 points. He played in defence. He didn't find much of a chip. Uh, I think conditions a little bit windy might, might have attributed to that. Um, for me, it was a quite low scoring game for Gibbs, but it might be potential for what could be happening this year. Yeah. Um, I think the thing with me... Is if he's playing at halfback, it takes away his tackle numbers. Um, and with Malera there as another quality ball user, and Led. just don't and Led yeah, and Laird, oh yeah, of course. So there's he's fighting with those guys really yeah. for possession. So it's it's a no for me. It really is an obvious no. Um, That's a good wait and see for sure. Yeah, I mean he'll probably pop up for the odd game or two. 
you know, we're all about picking players with consistent scores. Yeah. And um, I just don't see that happening, you know. I just... And it, there was obviously a lot of learning as a playing at half-back in that first game. So, um, but it's not as if he's going to have a lot of responsibility in terms of lockdown. Um, but, you know, if you look at Malera, Laird and Crouch, they're all probably pretty similar when where they all probably want a free reign at, at the ball and, and running off their opponents. So, yep. yeah, it's an interesting one to gauge in terms of the team dynamics at Adelaide. Um I don't think they can play all three in the back line. So um, whether one goes on a wing, maybe Malera, and then have Gibbs and, and Laird, and then Brody Smith in the midfield. Again, there's a lot of question marks we, we sort of don't know the answers to. So, you know, we might find Gibbs on the outer again at a late. It's, I wouldn't rule it out, but I could be wrong. We'll wait and see. I think all three do play in the back line there, but scoring may be limited. The one thing I'll take out of that game, Melbourne versus Adelaide, is that Matthew Nix was in there trialling players in quite a lot of roles, so they weren't really locked into playing a solid game. So for me, it's still open and up in the air how their round one team is going to look. So we're going to have to pay attention to their second Marsh series game for me. On to Chase Jones. Plenty were looking at him for his scoring rate. He scored 64 points, 69% time on ground, which equated to 0.93 points per minute. And when you balance that out to 80% game time, that was 74 points, 74.2 points. He worked his way into the game, Jep. attended 31.0% of team CBAs. He wasn't that all that bad. No, he wasn't. And, um, yeah, there's a lot to like about the kid. It's just... Look, he's got a pretty... He's, it's that tempting price, isn't it? Um, we're not seeing a lot of 170k rooks put their hand up, so this is the, these are the players we turn to. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's... it's it's He ticked a box for me. I, I don't know. What about you? What do you think? I thought he was solid enough. There's definitely some interest there for me. I just want to see how he reacts in the midfield when Sloan... And obviously, Lee goes in the back line, but when Sloan uh, tends more centre bounces and is in that midfield, how does that impact Chase Jones and his score? Yeah, I think he, he's definitely got a role in the 22. Um, but yeah, it's one of those cases where I think he got a few, a lot more midfield minutes than he probably normally would have during the season. On to Jordan Butts. He's got 46 points, 80% time on ground, he scored a 0.58 points per minute which equated to 46 points. Played a key defensive role, Jeb, and he gave away a couple of free kicks. He started okay early, but the free kicks um, obviously reduced his scores, and when he's going to match up against key forwards, that is always going to be an issue. Yeah, as a, as a tall defender type, he's, he's not going to be grabbing the huge scores, but um, nevertheless, I didn't think he did a lot wrong. He... Um, mm. He was solid, but not amazing. And there's there's definitely room for improvement and a lot to work with as well. Rory Laird, he scored 38 points. Played 41% time on ground, which equated to 0.93 points per minute, which averaged out at 80% game time at 74.1 points. Played limited minutes due to the state of origin this week, Jip. 
Yeah, look, he probably just ticked a box in terms of his, um, you know, the fitness and, and those um, fitness coaches, what they instructed him, what his loading should be. So didn't do a lot wrong. And I don't think, you know, Laird's a quality player and his role, even with the new coach, isn't going to change much. Rory Sloan was in the same boat. He scored 33 points, which was 35% time on ground. Average day up to 80% game time at which was 0.94 points per minute. Uh, average that out at 80%, 80% game time at 75.4 points. Same boat as Rory Laird, Jep, uh, but he did ice up his hip at halftime. So he just wrapped it up early and he'll play this week. Yeah, there's no concerns there. He probably just copped a knock and keeping the swelling down. Um, nothing he's not used to. Again, ticking boxes. We're not, um, we can't really analyse the same much, but his best footies in the midfield as, as that in and under midfielder. So that's where we'll be playing in 2020. Ned McHenry scored 31 points. Time on ground percentage was 42. There's a 0.74 points per minute. And you average that out at 80% game time at 59 points. He played the second half and mostly in a forward role jet. For me, I was quite high on Ned. But uh, seeing the way he fit, tried to fit into that team... On the weekend, I'm going to slightly downgrade his opportunities and his scoring ability playing a forward role. Agreed. Um, but what he did, you know, he was... Look, five tackles in, in less than half a game was, was positive. Mm. Um, again, I think, yeah, I think he, he probably comes in and cut his... <clears throat> his opportunity will come from injury, sorry, so... Yeah, not not looking good for one of the rooks we were sort of banking on to, to produce. Correct. Shane McAdam scored 16 points. Time on ground percentage 67. Points per minute, 0.24. Which at 80% game time equals 19.1 points. He did a couple of nice things, Jep, but that was completely it and scoring looks quite minimum right here. Yeah, it's a pass, mate. It's a pass. He's just that small forward type that's going to... You know, have a couple of good games with with bags of two or three goals, but it's just a no. I just can't do it. On to Geelong versus Gold Coast. This was at Metricon Stadium on the Gold Coast. Geelong had next to zero intent in this game. Gold Coast gave them a complete smacking. Darcy McPherson scored 131 points. Time on ground was 79%. 1.66 was a decent clip there, Jeb, and that equated to 132.7 points. He excelled in a friendly scoring game for the Gold Coast, Jep. Yeah, not um, not much midfield minutes in that, so not paid much respect by the opposition and, and just had a free run at it. Obviously, yep. it's, a, it's a standout score, but um, I don't think it would be the norm from Dust. Pretty much no opposition, so he could actually do what he wants, so that's why the high score is there for me. He does have a pretty good ceiling. And when he has no attention, he can actually just hit it for a high score. Over to Hugh Greenwood. He scored 114 points. 82% time on ground. 1.39 points per minute, which equated to 111.2 points. Jabba, this was a solid outing. He attended 50% of team CBAs. Yeah, and he's obviously a big unit, so <laughs> I definitely noticed him when he was in the middle. Mm. Um, sometimes against Patrick Dangerfield, especially at the first and about. So... Look, I think that's his role. I think it's obviously a, a mix 
and the percentage down the track of of mid and forward time is is still unknown. But um, we know he's going to play midfield minutes. We know he's going to rack up the tackle numbers. We know he's pretty much good for 15-plus possessions a game, no matter what. Um, shows value, shows good scoring punch. And, yeah, I, I like what I see. One player that I liked what I saw was Matthew Real. Scored 81 points. Time on ground, 67%. Scored at 1.21 points per minute. was quite decent, which equated to 96.7 points. He adapted quite well to AFL standard, even though that was a practice match step. He was unreal. Just his lateral movement. I'm just so jealous. Like, unbelievable. I think I harp on Zach Merritt's lateral movement and sideways movement. And his first step sometimes... Um, it's like a nutmeg in um, in basketball terms. It's it's really quite powerful and and, and sets him from the rest. Really, um, if there was any question marks on picking around to start round one, they're gone now. He is absolutely locked in and locked away. He was quite solid in that game against Geelong. He looked very comfortable at that level. Onto Connor Butterick, scored sixty five points. 85% time on ground, which was 0.76 points per minute. That equated to 61.2 points. He played a nice roll across half-back jet. He slipped forward to kick a goal, but he looked really good. Yeah, he did. He, um, quality kick, quality ball user. Um, small in stature. Yep, okay. You know, first year player, doesn't have a whole lot of meat on him, but really added value to, to the Gold Coast team and... Pretty much like um, Sparrow from Melbourne is, is another one that's, although sort of his name has been thrown around in the last couple of weeks in the news, it's um, seeing him on the field. I, um, you know, he's he is a rookie that I um, have brought into my team, um, but I had him on the bench and now he's on my field. So mm. there's one for the listeners. He looked very comfortable at the level, Jep. For me, if he's playing round one, I'll be having a decent crack at him on the field as well. Yeah, I think um, I think we feel comfortable at this point starting on the field and, and looking at how confident he was. And I liked his decision-making. I really liked his decision-making under pressure. Even when he kicked that goal, he didn't have a whole heap of time to um, to use the footy well, and he, um, he nailed that kick. So, yeah, I like what I see. Noah Anderson scored 55 points, time on ground, percentage was 77. At points per minute, that was 0.71. That equated to 57.1 points from 80% game time. Played a wing roll, Jep. Decent first outing. Scores were a little bit limited. Yeah, look, it, no knock on the guy. I probably would have expected a little bit more scoring, um, given the type of game it was from him, but... You know, first outing, not not being critical. Um, he he'll still be thereabouts, um, and we've got a, a lot of. We'll watch him closely again in in March in the second game for the of the March series for Gold Coast for sure. Jeremy Sharp scored forty three points. Time on ground percentage was forty percent. Points per minute were one point oh eight, which was quite solid, which equated to eighty six points in an eighty percent game time scenario. Scored a decent clip, Jeb, with limited game time. He did, but he didn't use the ball really well. And if I'm Stuart Jew, 
I'm thinking, oh, this kid needs a bit of time to, to learn his learn his craft in the NEFL. Um And I think he's going to be up against it for that round one spot. Mm-hmm. Over to the Cats, Quentin Arkell. Scored 99 points from 65% time on ground. That equated to a very, very solid 1.52 points per minute and equated to 121.8 points and an 80% game scenario. Definitely impressed with his scoring rate, Jep. Yeah, oh, for sure. Um, and looking, again, we've, we've got to fill a role here for um, for Geelong. And I know in the finals, he was quite prominent in the midfield. I remember mm-hmm. when Geelong beat my, my Eagles, he was a pain in the ass. Um, but as far as fantasy goes, that starting price of 497000 in the midfield, <clears throat> as a mid only, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? For sure. Over to Jordan Clark, he scored 80 points. Time on ground percentage was 82. Points per minute were 0.98. That equated to 78 points. He played a defensive role, Jep. Yeah, the young Sandgroper looked fitter, stronger, and another preseason's done. He was wonders. He's going to be a super player. He's a star. Um, yeah, he's really, really good. <laughs> um, oh, look, as I just, it's it's not an option for me in fantasy. Um, there are plenty other valley picks in that um, back line. Charlie Constable, he scored 56 points. Time on ground percentage was 75. Points per minute were 0.75. 80% game time scenario. That worked out to be 59.7 points. He started in defence, which was quite interesting, Jeb. In the second half, he played predominantly in the midfield. Yeah, it's a weird one, wasn't it? Um, I think that role change sort of caught me off guard. He's either playing in the back six or he's not so look, let's continue to monitor him he had 11 contested possessions um and we obviously saw some good good gains out of him last year in the midfield so let's just watch and wait and see with charlie i guess that for me that just shows that geelong had zero intent in that game obviously to win it's only practice match so they don't have to win it but the, the ability for Chris Scott to move players around and to see them in different positions was what Geelong wanted to get out of the game. Obviously, we've seen Dangerfield at a low clip in this game, so in the midfield. So for me, it was just about playing certain players in positions to have a look. Yeah, 100%. On to Jacob Kennelly. He scored 56 points. Time on ground percentage was 49. Points per minute were quite solid, 1.14, which equated to 91.4 points and an 80% game time scenario. Jep, that was a nice outing. Definitely worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, um, but again, pinch of salt sort of stuff. I wouldn't have him in the best 22 at Geelong, but you never know. Mm -hmm. Over to Cooper Stevens. He was quite a high draft pick for the Cats last year. Scored 33 points. Time on ground percentage was 64. It was pretty low points per minute, 0.52, which equated to 41.3 points in an 80% game time scenario. He struggled in this game, but he'll be better for the run, Jep. Yeah, it looked a bit nervy, the youngster, when he when he did have the, the, the footy. So, look, there's obviously, he's a quality player and, and that will come with time, but it won't sure. be this year. Brisbane versus Port Adelaide. Windy conditions impact the scoring. Thorpe wanted to play well, whereas Brisbane were content just playing a practice game. Lockie Neal, he scored 164 points. Time on ground percentage was 89. 
points per minute were quite high at 1.84. That at an 80% game scenario was 147.4 points. He had it on a string from Steph Martin in the middle. No one tried to shut him down at Port Adelaide, and he just racked him up, Jeb. 47 touches. Unbelievable. Yeah, um, yeah look, much like Bonson Pelly, just not much attention and, and did what he wanted, and wouldn't that be lovely every week um, in, in the home and away season? But not, it's, that's, it's not going to be, so we take the notes that, yep, fit, ready to play, quality, quality as always, and nothing really changes, but... Out of the 47 possessions, he had 27 contested. It's just nuts. It's just a big, big number. So, again, he has a target on his back, doesn't he? That ain't happening in a home and away season game. Of course. Of course not. Um, you can't have, you know, that quality of type of player, player get first hands to it and feed out to his to his um, ball users on the outside. It's just... It's just not smart. There's no footy smarts about it. Um, so yeah, you're right. It's not happening in a in a home and away game. Over to Hugh McCluggage. He scored 116 points. Time on ground percentage was 83 points per minute, 1.4, which was quite solid. 80% game scenario, which equaled out to be 111.8 points. He was very solid in a mid wing role. Jeff. Yeah, he just gets better and better every year, doesn't yeah, he? For sure. um, and he was a high draft pick for a reason. Was touted for number one, but went number three from memory. Mm, and yep. look, he's not going to miss a beat. And he just slots in perfectly at Brisbane. And I think that's why, for him personally, as a Victorian, he's hasn't had that go home factor. Because why would you when you're playing that type of quality football in a team that's driving for top four and mm. and really driving for a chance at the premiership? So. Yeah, love love him a lot. I like his quality of football and his fantasy scoring prowess. Um, three goals obviously boosts his score up, but he's a player that you know from in a AFL draft uh, in a fantasy draft um, sort of sense. You could sort of jag him in your midfield for a, for a late round pick, and you know he's going to score ninety plus pretty consistently. I think he would have to be the most underrated player in the AFL. Oh yeah, yep, yeah, he'd be up there. There'll be there'll be a couple more, but um, you're right. We we don't. He doesn't get the accolades he probably deserves with his hard running, he, and he probably produces as much output as a Andrew Gaff, who um gets put on a pedestal for for of you know for valid reasons. But um, yeah, he sort of quietly goes about it. Over to Calamarchi, he scored 45 points. Time on ground percentage was 84.54 points per minute, which equated to 42.9 points in an 80% game scenario. He found it difficult to get involved, Jep. He did, but I think he was learning the, the craft of... He's still learning his role in the team, but there's no question for me that he was brought in for a reason in that to play a, a, a role in that back six for Brisbane, and he's a quality ball user. So, um, you know, he, and he can lock down if he has to. So, look, I I see why Brisbane brought into, him into the side. I just don't think fantasy coaches should be considering him at this point. Graham Birchall, he scored 43 points. Time on ground percentage, 67 points per minute, 
was 0.64, that equated out to 51.3 points. It was a slow day in defence for Birch, Jep. Yeah, and um, nothing really to get excited about, hey, Pete? It's, it was pretty um, pretty stock standard from Birch, and no tackles in those stat, in that stat line doesn't doesn't tick your... Yeah, it does, definitely doesn't tick my box. So, yeah, no, no go from my end. Travis Bogey scored 111 points. Time on ground percentage was 67, which was 1.66 points per minute, which was quite high, and an 80% game scenario that was 132.5 points. He started slowly, Jeb, and scored at a very good clip. Yeah, look, he has not missed a beat. It's like a fine wine, isn't he? He just gets better and better with age and... Um, there's that uniqueness with Travis, but picking Travis Boak this year, obviously, and free reign at the footy as well. As much as you know, there was no tagging, he had very little pressure, um, and he could have done what he wanted, or he did what he wanted. Um, but again, I look at his fitness and how he moved, and he looked in tip-top shape. So, one really to consider as a, as a POD. Dan Houston, obviously he's been the talk of the pre-season, Jep. Scored 95 points. Time on ground percentage was 71. Points per minute were 1.34, which was quite solid, which equated to 107 points in an 80% game scenario. Played his midfield well, Jep. Attended 80% of team CBAs. He was very good. Yeah, he was. He he is valued as uh, as a defender in, in fantasy and um, nine tackles. To go with his possession numbers, and there was 12 contested possessions in there as well. So, look, I am liking what I'm seeing. It's it's business as usual, and I think we both got him, as, as most of us do. Over to Justin Westhoff. He scored 77 points. Time on ground percentage was 63. Scored at 1.22 points per minute. 80% game scenario that worked out to 97.8 points. He was used in a backup role in the ruck. Yeah, we, we've spoken about this <laughs> during the week and um, I think it was last week even on the pod or, or, mm-hmm. or personally between ourselves. It, um, yeah, I've got to eat my words, don't I? I? I didn't think he'd play that backup ruck role, but it could be the case. Obviously, Lyson not playing, still a, still not 100% locked in, but it looks like Westhoff's prime for that R2 pinch-hitting ruck role. So... We can see some healthy scores for him, and um, again, it's just gauging whether he's going to be, if he's going to push for, and be one of those top six forwards. There's potential. Over to Connor Rosie, scored 94 points, 57% time on ground. Jeppa, he scored 1.65 points per minute, which equated to 131.9 points. Everyone is looking at those scores, and those points per minute thinking that he's a possibility for their team he was involved everywhere he definitely impressed again this kid is a star he is and um, far out like he's got my attention so to be totally honest the, the player that I did put into my team and then took out again is him I, um, I don't mind sharing that information at all um, it's Trying to make it, I'm trying to make it work with him in there, but um, look, as far as his his improvement 
over the summer goes, it's like it's almost scary. Uh, eight tackles, two goals. He hits every stat line, Pete, every mm. single one. Mm. Um, you know, unless he's really – what I'm worried about is actually this year to the point, and it sounds funny, but he might get some close tagging attention. I think he will. Because he's that damaging yeah. when he has the ball. So we might actually see some sub-50 scores just from – you know, the opposition putting time into him. Yeah. So, like, I looked at him on the weekend and thought, wow, this, this guy's just going to be an absolute down-out star. And then um, that that thought popped into my head, what if he does get tagged and in the first few rounds of the season? Um, you know, is his score's going to be consistent enough? But, well, as a Port Adelaide supporter, it's a lot to get excited about. If I was buying stock in one team, and we've talked about Port Adelaide over the previous Plus 6 podcast, yet, if I'm buying stock in a two-year process or time frame for Port Adelaide, um, I'm buying plenty of them. Uh, they're going to turn out to be a quite an elite team, I think, in two, maybe three years, especially when these guys mature. Yeah, for sure. Over to Peter Laddins. Scored 74 points. Time on ground percentage was 71. Points per minute was, okay, at 1.04 which equated to 83.4 points in an 80% game scenario. I thought he was okay, Jep, but for me, he actually got destroyed in the ruck at centre bounces against Steph Martin. Yeah, and I don't think it's looking good for him um, season proper, like him solidifying a spot in the 22. I think it's obviously Lysette and um, <clears throat> and Westhoff, mm. but interesting probably that they won't have much option if Lysette goes down with injury or suspension. So... Yep. Um, yeah, I did note his performance in the ruck and, and sort of how he's going. And, you know, Steph Martin, he's got those big bloody legs and those knees that just rib tickle sometimes. And um, he, he probably struggled with the physicality, even being a big boy himself. So, um, yeah, I think he's on the outer and I don't think he should be in many teams. Although, you know, there'll be those optimistic coaches out there Let's see the value of four hundred and fourteen thousand dollar Ruckman and um but it's not for me, mate. Over to Darcy Byrne Jones, he scored fifty eight points, time on ground percentage was seventy seven, points per minute were point seven five. That equated to sixty point three points and at an eighty percent game scenario. He scored at a very slow rate jet. He played in defence. Yeah, he's rubbish, wasn't he? Um one I've been big on in the pre season and had high hopes for and Unfortunately, yeah, it's not. He sort of just went about it a bit casually and one mark and zero tackles doesn't help his scoreline. So, yeah, big big red flag there. Brad Ebert, he scored 45 points. Time on ground percentage was 74. Points per minute were 0.61. That was a very slow day and that worked out to be 80% game scenario, 48.6 points. He attended 30% of centre bounces, which actually was okay, but he found it difficult on Sunday, Jep. Yeah, see, 30% of centre bounces is still pretty healthy. So yeah. to only score 45 is oh, it's not, not ideal. Um, but again, come next March series game, he, he could pop out a 90-plus quite easily and we'd all be on the bandwagon again. So um, don't rule him out, but um, not looking good. Over to Mitch Georgie Artis. Scored 37 points. Time on ground was 49%. Point 
points per minute were 0 0.76. 80% game scenario, which equated to 60.4 points. He didn't find much of it, but for me, Jeff, from what I've seen of George Yardis, uh, the scoring potential is there, but it will be oh. vol but it will be volatile. Yeah, as it is with all young players and most young and first-year rooks. So, wow. Um, again, Port's got another brilliant youngster that in years to come is going to be a force. So, um, look, I, I think from where he's come from last year with his serious quad injury, um, playing half the game pretty much is, um, is all part of the plan. And they look to, to hold him in, in high um, regard, which is great for us as coaches. And he's looking likely for round one berth, from, in my opinion. All five games from week one of the Marsh series, the recap are available on aflratings.com.au. I've added some extra comments there for a few players. Uh, they include the peak performers, the centre bounces, and the kick-ins as well. So jump over to aflratings.com.au for more information. On to news and player notes. Jep, over the last week, Riley Collier-Dawkins. Damien Hardwick said last week, he's had a great pre-season. He looks like the player we thought he could be. He's still got a little bit of work to do. That last line there, Jeb, has me a little bit worried. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> you don't want to hear those words when no. a coach is um, talking up his three youngsters. The, he mentioned Thomas Dow and um, oh, Nash as well, who's lost some weight. So, yeah, oh, the psyche of his of his of the chosen words doesn't doesn't look good, does it? But yeah, um, yeah, I didn't like that. Look, he's on my bench at the moment, but he's he's not going to be for much longer. Tim English, he suffered a concussion uh, last week. He did not play in the Friday night game against the Kangaroos. This is one for the new concussion protocol, Jep. This will impact fantasy heavily in 2020. Yeah, definitely. Um, sounds innocuous and all precautionary, but far out. It's that missing that extra game, it doesn't. Doesn't um, that's going to really burn coaches, and I don't think we know what we're in for yet with that. From what I listened to from assistant coaches last week from the Bulldogs, is if that concussion protocol wasn't in place, that he would have English actually would have played on Friday night. There so, you go. So for me, this is a major, major issue for coaches. There's nothing we can do about it if a player gets concussed. Uh, hopefully, if there does actually happen to your player, it's late in the game. But fully expect at a high rate that they will miss the next week, especially if they're on a six-day break. There's going to be elevated numbers there, and those numbers are actually going to spike quite heavily. Yes, yeah, so you, you really can't pick a um, you know a Brad Ebert type who has had concussion problems in the past. Um, it's it's just not. It's just not wise, you know. It's very, very risky um, for not much return that someone else could provide. So, yeah, lots need to be weighed up and talked about with this new rule. Over to Miles Bergman. He's dealing with an ankle injury. It looks likely that it's going to put an early season debut in doubt, Jeff. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, we wanted him to have a clean run out of it. That's okay. We get a downgrade option during the season. Over to Max Gorn, he will likely play in the second Marsh Community Series. Jeppy is currently still 
far out. It's, it's you know, to make that and to confirm that he's playing in, in, in the second March game for Melbourne, it, it's it's ticking a box. You know, a lot of a lot of older players only play one March series game usually. So um, I don't think he's really going to miss too much of the preseason to affect him on field. So, and that low ownership is just that sort of icing on the cake, isn't it? Well, it's staring at me right now. If he was at 20 or 30% coming off a knee, that's definitely a no for me. But it, it's likely there's going to start around that 10% ownership, which for me, I want to keep that buy structure in place. But obviously, when we're talking about, about buy structure now, we might have to include the Port Adelaide St Kilda game as a different scenario. So there's still much to play out with Max Gorn there at 9 to 10% owned. Yeah. On to Jared Witts. He said on Saturday that he'll likely be back for round one. Uh, he's had an issue with his foot there, so there's actually some there for round one, Jet, for me. Uh, I don't think Stuart Jew was overly confident in his ability to play any part in the preseason. Hopefully he can get out there. Uh, but there's a ruck that is that I had ranked at number three that uh, has early season issues. Yeah, and um, his ownership would drop. And unfortunately, the player filling his place is going to be Zach Smith, who's 430-odd grand and can score okay, as in the past, but, um, you know, is a bit shaky as a, as a pick. So, um, yeah, I, that news I, I consider um, the effect with with who fills his void more than anything um, in the short term. And if we're looking, that R2 is still bugging me. I I am not convinced on any any Ruckman at R2 of, of what I'm seeing. I'm still very much on the fence at, at that selection. And Zach Smith's another on the list. On to Joel Selwood. He's expected to play some minutes in the Cats' second Marsh series game, Jeff. Yeah, which is great for John supporters, and um, again, probably being that older custodian, he um, they manage his minutes and load, and it's probably all part of the plan. He's probably got no injury concerns; of just looking after him for a long year ahead. Well, he's had that hamstring issue, and he's been in a rehab group for most, oh, of course, yes, he has. Apologies. So he did have surgery there, so it looks like he's going to be okay for round one, and so that's. For those interested, and I'm definitely not one of those, uh, that's actually a good sign there that he's going to be okay pretty much for round one. Yep. On to Isaac Rankin. He's a chance to play in the Suns' second Marsh series game. Stuart Dew is anticipating he's going to be right by round one. Uh, He missed last week due to an injury. We may not even see his scoring ability until round one, so it could be a blind pick, Jep. Yeah, um, but I think as a as a small medium forward, we we kind of know what scoring output he's going to provide, and obviously know he's a high draft pick, and they'll, the Suns will want to play him when he's fit. So job security's there, scoring potential is probably not there, um, and his on field role, you know, he'll be allowed to to play that um, you know sort of half forward flank that pushes up at times. So. Um, He's still a bench spot worthy, mate, given what's around. And we're all looking for that 170 grand bargain. 
over to Tom Duday. He injured his knee at training last week and he would likely miss the start of the home and away season. Yeah, that's a bugger for Tom, um, given what he's coming back from. And it's a bugger for fantasy coaches because there's definitely value picking him in the back line. Dyson Hebel at the Bombers. He was on limited training today due to his foot. He had a bit of his surgery there to remove a screw, so he might be back up and running within a week or so. Onto the Giants, Stephen Canelio. Leon Cameron said yesterday he will spend his time 60-40 midfield forward. That's a bit of a clarification from the other day when his midfield forward split was suggested that it would be way lower than 60% midfield yet. Oh, look, I think last year, no matter where he plays, he's, he's dynamite, isn't he? So we, we've seen him kick bags of three goals before and he's normally, that gives him that high ceiling. So there's no denying his output and there's no real concerns of what he's going to produce, from my opinion. Pretty much the same as what he did last year. He does start games forward, so I don't think there's an issue. He still scores when he goes forward. So for me, I'm not downgrading his projection for the season. I think there is some value there. On to Callum Ward. Leon Cameron said yesterday, he's got the capability of playing in the inside-out role. We'll probably explore his role at half-back as well. He's a chance to come back through the Neafel. Therefore, it could be a while to regain full game fitness coming off an ACL. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's his role in the Giants now with their quality on ballers and how they fit him in. It's very interesting, isn't it? You know, he he built his craft as that tough in a, in an under midfield and or midfielder, sorry, and um, with the likes of Taranto and Keneally around, <clears throat> it's um. It's sort of, yeah, it's sort of not really guaranteed that he's just going to come in and put his head over the ball at the first and a bounce. So um, I'm really intrigued by him because it, obviously it affects the scoring output of, of his teammates around him, like Cornelio and Kelly and Taranto and even Whitfield to a point, really. So it's, um, it's one to monitor for sure. One player that we're not targeting from a fantasy perspective but may influence some others in team selection. Leon Cameron said yesterday that Matt DeBoer's flexibility would allow others to play in the midfield. We could see DeBoer move to a defensive forward tag role, allowing players such as Haightley, Green, O'Halloran and Cole Wall to develop. There are opportunities here, Jeb. Yeah, but I think that's a, a game-by-game sort of scenario. So, you know, West Coast had tagged Adam Saad in, in the past for Essendon. <clears throat> to block his run from half back and his creativity, where um, and Hutch obviously Hutch did that, and um, other times Hutch has gone to side bottom, and we all know what he did in the GF 2018, the unsung hero. Um, so it's probably a game by game analysis with DeBoer as well. Before I close this podcast, if you would like a chance of scoring a plus six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. We'll give a few away towards the end of preseason. This is a dual podcast, so stay tuned. We'll be uploading the next podcast for your listening pleasure very soon. On that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.